How's everybody doing today? Thank you so much. Anybody else doing all right? All right. Well, we started at the opener talking a little bit about yesterday was a good day for some teams and a bad day for other teams. But uh, all around, I think yesterday was a fun day if you're a college football fan. And uh, a lot of good things happened in football yesterday if, if you are a college football fan. If not, and you like the NFL, then your day comes today. And there's a lot of things going on there. Our Atlanta Falcons are attempting to go 7-0 and today. They play at 1 o'clock. A couple of true Falcons fans. The rest of us are fair weather since they're 6-0. and We'll desert them as soon as they lose two games. But uh, a lot of good things happened yesterday. If you're a Georgia fan, they, uh, they, they, their defensive prowess kind of overpowered the anemic offense of the Florida Gators. How about them dogs? I hear, I hear some of you out there. And, and what will happen, interestingly, all those people that love the dogs, if Georgia doesn't beat Ole Miss by about 30 this weekend, they're going to want to fire Mark Richt again. But uh, that's just the way it goes in Georgia, I guess. I think Georgia Tech, how'd that game with BYU go? Anybody know? Got beat by about 100. So well done there to Coach Paul Johnson. Uh, a lot of good things happened. There was something that happened that you probably didn't know about unless you're Kristen Anderson, who was singing up here in the UW shirt for Washington Huskies. Her and her husband, Jeff, I think are Washington fans. I don't know if, is there any other Washington fans in the room? No, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you so much for the affirmation of, of that point. Yesterday, Washington was playing Oregon State in the Pac-10. For those of you that live here in SEC country, the Pac-10 is a much smaller, less awesome conference out on the West Coast. But the Pac-10, Oregon State, they were playing against Washington. And Oregon State, much like our Falcons, is 6-0, and attempting to go for their first 7-0 and start in school history. They've got kind of thoughts about potentially winning the Pac-10 and trying to be in the BCS championship conversation, which would be a big deal for Oregon State. And so they've got, you know, we're going to beat this Washington's, you know, they, they're not ranked. We're going to beat this team. But little did they know that there was a young man by the name of Travis Coons, who is the field goal kicker for the University of Washington Huskies, who uh, on with one minute and 20 seconds to go, kicked a field goal to put them ahead of Oregon State and to end Oregon State's, you know, desires for 7-0 and BCS championships. It was a guy most of you, all of you, me included, had never heard of. Maybe still had never heard of until I just said his name. But it's this little-known guy who did something incredible yesterday that benefited his team. He kicked a field goal. We love it when field goal kickers do that instead of missing. And so he did something, and his team won the game. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because I'm going to read a story here in just a second out of the Bible about another guy that you've probably never heard of. But he has this really cool story. So if you've got your Bibles, flip to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus is in the New Testament. It's the, I'm sorry, the Old Testament. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's in the Old Testament. It's the second book of the Bible. You got Genesis, Exodus. So you go there to Exodus beginning in chapter 31, and we're going to start in verse 1 of Exodus 31. This is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, when I read this passage, I know Moses. Moses is the guy mentioned there in verse 1. I know Moses. I know his story. Moses is the guy who you know, was going to go and set God's people free. He, he, he saw a bush that was burning but not quite being consumed by fire. He was the one that was in the little, you know, the little 
raft that his mom had crafted to kind of save him as, as they were killing all the children his age, and he was saved and rescued. Cool story. I know Moses. I don't know Bezalel. But Bezalel here in Exodus chapter 31 in verse 2 is introduced to us in this story, and he's a really cool guy. I don't know anything about his personality. Here's all that I know about him. God chose him, and God filled him with his spirit. Not the spirit of Bezalel, the spirit of God. See, I don't, I don't know a lot about Bezalel. I know about Moses. But do you realize that the, the, the phrase that's used there in verse 3, it says, I have filled him with the spirit of God. That's the first time that's used in the entire Bible up to this point. And it's not used to talk about Adam in the garden. It's not used to talk about Abraham, who was God's covenant peace to the children of Israel. It's not used to talk about Moses, who would do this incredible thing for God's people. It's a construction worker. That God says, I have chosen him, this construction worker, and I've filled him with my spirit. Now, that's a big deal because we're going to learn here that God loves to choose people and bring them into a task to accomplish something great that they on their own could not accomplish, but helps to, to further this incredible story that God's writing in the world. So now we know about Bezalel. But see... Bezalel is just one piece of the puzzle. He is a piece of the story that God's writing at that point in his covenant chosen people of Israel. They've been in captivity in Egypt now, and they've come out of Egypt. Moses kind of said, hey, set my people free. Pharaoh lets them go. They go across on dry land. The water then consumes their, their enemies that are trailing behind them. And now they're out in the middle of the desert, and before them is the promised land. Behind them is captivity. And now they're stuck in the middle of the desert. They've only been out there a couple of months. And God is now beginning the process of forming in them a people that honor Jehovah God. And so as a part of that process, what God wants to do is God wants to help them to create a meeting space, a meeting place for his spirit to come and meet with them. He wants their priests, their, their religious leaders to wear a specific kinds of, a kind of clothing that, that is made a certain way that honors God. And so God needs somebody that can do that. And the majority of the, of the Israelite people who had just come out of Egypt were brickmakers. They weren't the kind of people that could work in gold and silver and bronze and who could work in wood and who could, could take the jewels and do the things that God specifically wanted done for his meeting place and for the, the, the priestly garments. And so he says, hey, I've chosen Bezalel, and not only have I chosen him, he has a very specific set of skills, and I've filled him with my spirit, and he's going to do this thing because there's a game plan here. There's a mission there, there's something that needs to be accomplished, and here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to go about this mission to create a place where I can meet with my people. Every team has a mission. You know, we're kind of using a football analogy today, but a football team's mission is very simple. Win the game. Right? That's how you win. You, I mean, that, that's, that's what you're about. You're going to go and win the game. A, a, a military team, a special forces kind of operations team, they have a specific mission as well. It's whatever mission has been handed to them to, to destroy the enemy in some way, to rescue someone of their, uh, from their side or from an ally. They've got a very specific mission that they're supposed to be about. A, a team in business has a very specific mission. It's to complete the task maybe that's been given to them, to do it in the most efficient way, and maybe to do it in a way that is financially beneficial to the entire organization. They have a specific mission. But for those of us that are believers in the room, we're Christians, we are on you know, Team Jesus or whatever, we've got a mission too. 
We don't just show up to church and, and, and sing some songs and hear somebody rant for like 35 minutes and then go home. There is a mission to this. There is a, a, a kind of a strategic plan that's to be played out here. And this is what that plan is. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19. It says this. Pardon me. I sat on my microphone. Here's what it says. Matthew 28, 19. It says, I didn't sit on it that time. I don't know what happened. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. I love you, Trevor Heinemann. Thank you, sir. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The mission of Team Jesus, the mission of God in the world is therefore go and make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples. Earlier in this year, we talked about the difference, the idea of the difference in disciples and Christians. Christians are what we kind of create in the American church for the most part. We create people, and I'm guilty of this too, we create people that know the right things to say, that know where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. They know the actions that create in them being a good Christian person, but Jesus didn't say go and make Christians. He said go and make disciples. This is at the end of his life. He's actually, it's it's after the end of his life. He's already died on a cross and been raised from the dead. And he's standing there talking to his closest followers. And the idea is that he's saying to them, listen, I am about to leave you. I'm going back to heaven to be with my father. And when I leave, I want to leave you with the, the mission here. I want to leave you with the commission. This passage of scripture is most often referred to as the great commission. What we as followers, as believers, as disciples, those that Jesus is referring to. If you're following after Jesus, attempting to take his teachings and the ways that he lived and apply them in your life and and, and get those out to other people in your life. This is what he says that we should be about. Therefore. That word, therefore, means in response to all that you've seen and heard. So let me rephrase this. In response to all that you've seen and heard, go and make disciples. Go and do something with what you've learned. That's the mission. Jesus is saying to these disciples that watched him heal people, that watched him teach these incredibly profound countercultural truths, Go do something with that. That's the mission. That's the mission of Team Jesus. But see, every mission has to have a game plan. You know, if you're a football team, you got a mission, we're going to win the game. But it's not just enough to want to win the game. If so, Tennessee would be undefeated right now. You want to win every game, right? you got to have a game plan. And so the coach sits down to create a game plan for that game to accomplish the mission. And he says, okay, we, we want to win, so how do we win? we got to score more points than the other team. So a part of our game plan may be playing defense, and a part of our game plan is playing offense. And so we're going to try to score points, and here's how we're going to do that. A lot of times it starts with the quarterback. Not always, but on most teams, that game plan on offense starts with the quarterback. I'm wearing a Matt Ryan jersey today. I think there's a couple other people wearing Matt Ryan. I'm wearing it better than they are. Matt Ryan, and, and to those that said I would have looked better in the offensive lineman jersey earlier, I resent that. Um, I'm wearing a Matt Ryan jersey. He's the quarterback 
of the Atlanta Falcons here, our NFL franchise. The Falcons, I said this a little earlier, are 6-0. and Today they attempt to go 7-0. and And Matt Ryan is having an incredible season. He was drafted first in the NFL draft in 2008. So this is now his fifth NFL season. So about four, almost four and a half seasons into his NFL career. This season is so far seems to be better than all the rest. He's in the top five in almost every individual quarterback statistic category. He's in the top five among all the quarterbacks in the league. Some of those he's one or two or three, but he's in the top five in almost all of them. In his four and a half seasons thus far, playing for the Falcons, he has 19 come-from-behind wins in the fourth quarter or overtime. What that would mean is that his team is behind, and he has the ball some point in the fourth quarter or overtime, and he brings them back to score and win the game. He has 19 of those in four and a half seasons. Of all of the quarterbacks who have ever played in the history of the NFL, nobody has 19 comeback wins in their first four and a half seasons. That's a big deal. They call him Matty Ice. Because he's got ice running through his veins. He never seems to get rattled. He always seems to be able to make the play. So if I'm the coach of the Atlanta Falcons, we would not be 6-0 probably. Maybe we would. But if I'm the coach of the Atlanta Falcons and I've got a game plan I'm trying to create to help us accomplish the mission of winning the game, my game plan is going to start with Matt Ryan. It's going to start with the quarterback. And a lot of game plans for a lot of teams start with the quarterback because they, they're... They're they're an important piece because they're going to take the snap on almost every single offensive play. And then at that point, they're either going to hand the ball off to a running back. They're going to throw it to a wide receiver or a tight end. They're going to run it themselves. But almost, I mean, 99% of the offensive plays, they're going to touch the ball. And so that's a really important position. And in the church, you know, sometimes we fall into this trap of looking at, hey, if ministry is going to happen, if church stuff is going to happen for Team Jesus, we kind of look at, you know, guys like me, the pastor or the preacher or maybe the worship leaders or the band or somebody that we say, okay, they're using their gifts for God, God's using them in some way, and so that's where we kind of need to start. And I would say that that's incorrect. And I can say that because I'm one of those guys. I get to participate in that way in these services. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a really incredible chapter in Scripture. It's a chapter in Scripture. I would say that 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are some of the most important chapters in the entire New Testament. Not, all, not more important than everything, but really important, especially to the church. Because 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talk about the body of Christ and the, the corporate gatherings of the body of Christ and how those things should operate. 1 Corinthians 13, right in between those, talks about love. It's the love chapter of the Bible. And it talks about the idea that as the body is attempting to live out life together and corporately in some way, right in the middle of that, the most important thing to do is love one another and have this abounding, you know, persevering love. And so this is, these are three really good chapters. In 1 Corinthians 12, in verses uh, 14 through 20, there's, there's a, a piece of that passage, and I'm just going to give you my summary of it. Here's what it looks like. The body of Christ is like your physical body. And you've got all these many parts of your body, but it's one body. Each, has, you know, each of these different body parts has a different role in your body, but it's all one body. And, and this is what the passage would say. This is the Jeremy translation, okay? It would say this. If your ear was to say to itself, ear, I don't want to be an ear anymore. I want to be a mouth. Then how would you hear? Because now you'd have two mouths and no ear, right? 
And it would say, this is again, the Jeremy translation. This is not exactly what your Bible says, but if you find one like this, please let me know. I can make a lot of money. This is what it says. If your knee said, hey, I want to be an elbow, then how would you bend your leg to walk and move to and fro? Because now you wouldn't have a knee and you'd have a bunch of elbows, right? This is, this is again, my translation, this is pretty much what this passage is saying. Here's what that looks like in practical terms. Matt Ryan's the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons. There's another guy on the Atlanta Falcons. His name is Josh Harris. Anybody ever heard of Josh Harris? You're either a football dork or you are lying. All right, so Josh Harris is the long snapper for the Atlanta Falcons. Long snapper is the guy that just, this is what he does the entire game, right? Anytime he comes in, he gets here and throws the ball about 15 yards behind him. That's all he does. I looked on the depth chart because I'm kind of a sports dork. I looked on the depth chart of the Atlanta Falcons. He's not listed anywhere else on the depth chart. Like he's not the fourth string left guard. He's not the third string defensive tackle. The only thing that they pay him to do is show up and long snap. That's all they do. So here's what this looks like if Josh Harris were living out 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Josh shows up in the locker room today and says, you know, Coach Smith, I've been thinking about this. I don't want to be a long snapper anymore. I'd like to be the starting quarterback. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be the long snapper. It's kind of a thankless job. The only time anybody knows my name is when I mess it up. I want to be the quarterback now, right? And here's what Coach Smith would say if he were translating the Bible the way that I would. He would say, you know, Josh, that's a great point. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for wanting to do that. But if we do that, then we don't have a long snapper, and we've got two quarterbacks. And that doesn't make any sense. We only need one quarterback. So why don't you be a long snapper, and let's let Matty Ice be the quarterback, Right? Because I don't want Matt Ryan being the long snapper. And, and Josh Harris may be like a really great guy, but I don't know what his quarterback skills are. And so I want him to be the long snapper, and I want Matt Ryan to be the quarterback. And guess what? Josh Harris is 6-0. and Why? Because he's a part of a team where everybody plays their role. And to this point, they've done it so well that they're undefeated. Now, in your life and in mine, we sometimes get this really uncomfortable trait, right, characteristic, where we begin to look at what we're doing, and we begin to look at what other people are doing, and we think, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do that. Or I don't want to have these things anymore. I want those things. Or I don't just love what I've got, I also love what they've got. And can I say to you, if you're an elbow, just be an elbow. Right? I'm not saying don't like strive for being better. I'm not saying don't look to grow in your responsibilities at your company. I'm not saying don't try to be the best student that you can possibly be. I'm not saying stay in 10th grade forever. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear that. But I am saying that what God has called you and equipped you to do, do that the very best that you can. First Peter chapter four says it this way, beginning in verse 10. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as so do so as one who speaks the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The point of that passage is this. It's not as important that you do what other people are doing. It's important that you do what you're doing to the very best of your ability. The point of this is that God has created within us this incredible space, this incredible piece of us that is uniquely gifted to do what he needs us to do to accomplish the game plan, to accomplish the mission. But if we're not content, again, I'm not talking about lose your ambition here. I'm talking about if we're not content playing the role God has given to us based on our giftedness. If we have the gift of service, but we can't sing at all, I'm saying don't like go apply to be worship leader. Serve with all your might, right? If we can't teach anybody how to turn their phone on, but we're the friendliest person in the world, don't sign up to be a teacher. Be friendly as if you're doing so unto God. It's not as important that you attempt to do what you think others are doing that you want to do. It's as important or it's more important to do what you've been gifted and called to do to the very best of your ability. And here's this really, really incredible truth that's found in Scripture. It's in Colossians chapter 1. It's talking about the mission of God in the world, and it's talking about the different groups of people that are in the world, the Jews and the Gentiles, and this incredible thing about the gospel attempting to reach everyone in the world, which just before this, it had just been for the Jews. And this is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the people that were up to this point, separate from the covenant relationship with God, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, here's the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. You. Everybody say, Christ is in me. Say it again. Say, Christ is in me. If you believe in Jesus Christ, not that he just existed and he's some phantom figure in history somewhere, but if you believe that Jesus was who he said he was, the son of the living God, that he came to the earth and he did these incredibly profound you know, uh, miracles, and he taught these incredibly amazing truths, and that he said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me, Jesus. If you believe that, if you've entered into relationship with Jesus, if you're living to the very best of your ability, a God-honoring life, you have Christ in you. You have Christ in you. Now, again, and, and this is not this is in no way this is not intended to be at all any kind of prideful statement. I'm using the position and not me as the person. OK, but it's very easy for those of us that grew up in church like I did to look at the, the pastor, preacher, worship leaders, people up front, people that are very visible in service to go. Yeah, Christ is in them. I mean, Christ is definitely in them. I can see that they're they're preaching or they're teaching or they're, you know, they're about the things of Jesus or they're using their gifts or their talents. It's easy to see that Christ is in them. But I'm not so convinced other than that. I prayed a prayer and I sang a song and he's in my heart or something like that. However, that works that Christ is in me. 
It's easy for us to look at the Falcons and say, man, Matt Ryan is really important to the Falcons' role in being 6-0 and and accomplishing the game plan and winning the game, which is the mission of their team. It's easy to see that. It's very visible. It's, it's understandable. It's a little more difficult for me to see that Josh Harris, the long snapper, only the long snapper, doesn't do anything else, is, is an important, vital piece to the, to the mission of the Atlanta Falcons, to the game plan of the Atlanta Falcons. So it's easy for you to look at Matt Ryan, right, and see that he's important. But maybe it's difficult for you to see how the other players play a role. It's easy for you in church and for you and I to look in church and see people that we go, Christ is definitely in them. But all these other folks, and, and me included, I don't really know how, how that plays out. I've got a couple people that I've asked to help me today. I want Kristen Smith to come up here. Kristen is a school teacher. She and her husband, Brian, who's a horrible, horrible man. No, I'm kidding. He's not. They, they serve faithfully here in our church at this campus. And, and they serve in a variety of ways. But Kristen is a school teacher. And the incredible thing that Kristen wrote to me, this is what she said. She said, for many students, I'm not just a teacher, I'm their parent. I'm their guidance counselor, their encourager, their doctor, their hairdresser, their fashion consultant, and much more. A lot of the times, I may be the only person who's caring about them or thinking about them each and every day. Now listen, here's the truth. She's not just a school teacher, even though that's what her jersey says. She has Christ in her. She puts this jersey on and she's now a part of the same team that I am when I stand up and proclaim the goodness of God in settings like this. She goes to her school Monday through Friday wearing this jersey on the team that I'm on, which is Team Jesus, and says, I've got Christ in me. And I want to live that out in front of my students. I want to ask Margie Goss to come. Margie's a mom. She and her husband Keith attend here. Keith's played in the band some. They have two kids, a 14-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter. And this is what she wrote to me. She says, I feel like God is using me as a mom to instill a godly heritage into my kids' lives and the future generations of our family. She has this long-term view that says, man, being a mom is tiring some days. And I'm tired of making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and getting the kids ready for school maybe. And she she works a job. But she understands that what she does into the lives of her kids is not just for today. It's also for the future generations of her family because she has Christ in her. And she wears this jersey to say, I'm on Team Jesus. and, And I'm proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the gospel message of Jesus to my children and to the future generations of my family. I want to ask Ahmad Broadnax to come up here. Ahmad is a dad. He and his wife, Amber, have two kids. He's also a football coach for a six- and seven-year-old football team, right? I went and watched them a couple weeks ago. They're awesome. They finished their regular season a couple weeks ago undefeated. And they start the playoffs, I think, this coming week. But they're, they're, he's a good football coach. Here's what he said about being a dad and about being a football coach. He says, listen, I feel like I have the opportunity to help my kids, my personal kids and my kids on my team, to, to choose the better path in life. Not just to take the path where they're going to have to learn tough lessons that I've learned in my life or learn hard things, but to learn the better path and to live that out. So Ahmad puts on his jersey that says dad and coach, and he puts this on. And when he stands in front of his kids, he may not be wearing this jersey. He may be wearing this shirt, but he says, I've got Christ in me. I'm about the mission of Jesus Christ. I want to ask Ben Sparks to come here. Ben's a college student. He goes to Reinhardt University. Ben, ben is a, a cool guy. I follow him on Twitter. And before I even really knew who he was, I knew he attended here. 
I saw him tweeting about him out here in North Canton campus, and, and I follow him on Twitter, and he's, he's tweeting about stuff as a college student, okay? Who wrote to me that sometimes he feels inadequate, that God would use him, or that he knows enough, or that his age might be too much inexperienced. As a college student, he's tweeting about the 40 days of prayer that we're a part of, and what God's speaking into his life, and what God's doing through him. Doing the best he can to be a witness on his campus and to be available for God to use. So he puts this on and he says, hey, I'm a college student. But more than that, I carry Christ in me. I'm on team Jesus attempting to live out every day the mission of going into the world. Amy Hess, come here. Amy's a doctor. Amy is is a doctor and she's the kind of doctor that you want. You know why? Because this is what she says about her role as a doctor. She says, I want God to use me to reach people in their time of need, fear, or illness. Not only to provide good medical care, but to be a witness to them of Christ's love and that he is their ultimate healer. Amy's the kind of doctor you want because she understands that if you go to the doctor, you've got a lot of questions and you have very little answers. And she wants to take all of her years of schooling and help you get those answers. But ultimately, she wants to wear this and say, listen, more than just being a doctor, I have Christ in me. And when I put this on, I'm entering into the mission of this team, the mission of the gospel to go into the world and impact people for Jesus. Jeff Cates, come here. Jeff is a general contractor. He and his wife, Luann, serve here in a variety of roles. Jeff's usually back there behind the curtains, helping in media in some way. Jeff's a general contractor. And here's what he said about how God would use him. He said, maybe to touch people's lives that I come in contact with. To show them honesty and integrity in everything I do. Wouldn't that be great in a general contractor, in construction, to be honest, to have integrity? He says, hey, there's people in this industry that are lost and need to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I want to put this on and I want to live Christ in me as a general contractor. I want to be about the mission of God. Helene, come here. Helene Heinemann. Helene and David and their kids are a part of our campus. Helene's a small business owner. They run a daycare in Marietta. And she says, hey, as a small business owner and as a mom, I want to live out the gospel. She says, I want to show the love of God to let those around me know that there is a true and living God. And she says, I can show that in a variety of ways. I can hug on the kids. I can listen to the parents. I can pray with the parents. But she puts this on and she says, I'm not just a small business owner. That's my role. But I've got Christ in me. I've got Christ in me. That's the the hope of glory. That the mission of Jesus Christ, the mission of this team is to live out the love of Jesus Christ to the world. And she carries that with her when she goes to work. Dan Spiker. Dan is a police officer. He comes and serves here faithfully every single Sunday, helping provide security to our campus, to provide security for our financial, uh, the money that we take in and things like that. Awesome guy. Dan is is a police officer, right? But Dan... Not just is that, he carries Christ in him. He, he, he's kind of sworn this oath to protect and to serve. But you know what he's done? He's got to live out. I got Christ in me. I'm not just a uniform. I've got Christ in me. I'm about the message of Jesus Christ. Brianna White, come here. Brianna's a, a high school student. She's a cheerleader. She goes to Cherokee High School. Brianna is a student. And, and just like I mentioned with Ben, sometimes people look down on students. They look down on them and say, oh, well, they, they've got to wait their turn to be used by God. No. In the mission of God, there are no respecters of persons. You can't look on somebody and say, well, they're not ready yet. God's not going to use them yet. No, you make yourself available. You say, I believe in Jesus Christ. You put on the jersey. You join the team and you say, listen, I've got Christ in me. Stephanie Hightower. Come here, Stephanie. 
Stephanie's a part of our church, her and her family. And Stephanie is a college student. She serves faithfully in this church along with her family. But Stephanie has said, there's something about my heart that says, I don't know what it looks like yet. I don't know where it goes. But when it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, I'm committed to the all nations part. That if God chooses to send me somewhere else in the world outside of Canton, Georgia, I'm committed to do that for two weeks at a time or a month at a time. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm committed to the mission of Jesus Christ. And so she takes Christ, puts him inside of her life and lives out the mission of God. Now, I told these folks this morning when we met early and we prayed, I said, you're not standing up here because you're the perfect person or you're the perfect dad or perfect mom or you're the perfect small business owner. You're not standing up here because you have everything figured out. You're standing up here as a representative of the people that are sitting in the seats. Why do we only look at the pastor? Why do we only look at the worship leader and say, yeah, Christ in them. Christ can use them. No, God can use you. God can use a dad and a mom and a teacher and a student. God wants to use that. He wants to use you because you get into places to accomplish his mission that I never will, that Justin never will, that this band never will, that our children's teachers never will. Because there's a mission, but there's a game plan. And the game plan includes you. But here's the reality. Because I know as as you listen to that, you think, yeah, but I don't know how to accomplish that. And I'm afraid and I'm worried. What if they ask me questions I don't have the answers to? What if they ask me what the Bible says about something and I don't know? Here's the promise. You know what what the Exodus passage said about Bezalel? It said that God had chosen him and then he filled him with his spirit. It didn't say that I chose him because he was already filled with my spirit. It says I chose him and then I equipped him with everything that he would need. Right? Matthew 28, 19 says, therefore go and make disciples. It gives us incredible mission and it gives us a promise that everywhere we go, God goes with us. He says, I will be with you to the ends of of the age. So if you're, if you're worried today that, that you're going to have to go somewhere, that you're not sure how to even fulfill the mission, let me give you a promise today that God is faithful. The band's been singing a song recently, and I've asked them just to sing it right here, just to help us to know that God is faithful. Never once. Lift it up. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once will you leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. You are. You are faithful, God. You are faithful. Never once will we ever walk alone. Never. on the team. You ever been to a football game? You ever watched one on TV? Okay. You know what the team does? Ahmad, your coach, huddle us up right here. Here's what the team does. They get in a huddle and they talk about the plan and they get in the huddle and they say, okay, here's what you're going to do. And here's what I'm going to do. 
and you block and I'll, I'll throw it and you catch it and you run it. And they get this game plan together, right? This is what the church on Sunday looks like. But guess what? Some of you have been in a huddle all of your life and you've never gotten out of the huddle. I mean, you've just huddled up and said, here's the plan. Here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to run there and catch the ball. And you've never run there and caught the ball because you stayed in the huddle, right? You you just say, hey, I'm I'm here. I'm learning all this stuff that I'm supposed to do. And I I know that God's word says, here's the plan. Here's the mission. We're going to win. We're going to go do this. And you just stay here until you die, (laughs) right? This, This is just, this looks like a lot of churches. This looks like a lot of Christian people that I know because Christians are cool with hanging together, being with other Christians, learning all they can about God so they know the right things to say. They get in the huddle, they're not going to be embarrassed. They know what they're supposed to do. They know the formation. They know the play. They know the right words. And they don't do anything with that, right? But at some point, you've got to break out of the huddle and you've got to go into your life. You've got to go as a teacher and a mom and a dad and a student and a doctor and a contractor and a business owner and a police officer and a student. Go into all the world wherever you go. And you've got to be about the mission of Jesus Christ. You you, you can't just huddle up forever. Do we understand that? Like the gospel message does not say, therefore, get together and stay there. Right? What does it say? Therefore, go! In response to all that you have seen and heard, go and make disciples. You know, we hear hear church people all the time, I'm guilty of this sometimes, that want to learn a new truth and a really cool new story from God's word. Hey, why don't, we, why don't we preach on this? Why don't we teach on this? And we need to, and we will. But for some of us, we need to start living out the truth that we do know before we try to learn a whole bunch of new truth. Wow. Right? We have to respond to the gospel. You know, some of you were not here when we first launched our campus. You guys can go. Thank you so much. Some of you were not here. Let's give them a hand. Some of you were not here when we launched our campus. We're out of another church, another campus in Marietta, Mount Perrin North. We have two locations now. And when the discussions were taking place about us coming to Canton, we did not come to Canton to huddle up. We didn't come to Canton to create another huddle for church people to gather in. There are incredible churches in this area. I'm friends with a lot of their pastors. Awesome churches. Places where they love God and they're trying to do the same thing that we're doing. But you know what we found out early, early, early in the process when we were attempting to to just discern and, and determine what it was that God was saying to us about this area? We were looking at several other communities and we ran across the statistic that there were more than 80,000 unchurched people within seven miles of Sequoia High School. Now, unchurched does not always equal un-God relationship, right? I get that. 80,000 unchurched people 
many of whom do not know the God that we've been singing about all day. 80,000 within seven miles of where you sit right now. And we came to this place for one reason. To gather together, to huddle up, to hear the mission, to figure out the game plan, and to break the huddle, and to invade this community. To go back into our neighborhoods, and our schools, and our workplaces, to walk the streets where we live, to go into the classrooms, to go into the places that we eat lunch and breakfast and dinner, the place where we pump gas, and to carry the Christ that lives in us to the world. Therefore, go. Now there's two potential responses today. The first is, hey, this sounds great, but I'm not even on Team Jesus. Like, man, I want to be a part of the mission, but I'm not even in the huddle. Like, I I, I don't have Christ in me. We're going to pray for you in just a second. Let me tell you what the good news for you today is. That before you had it all figured out, God chose you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's like when I go to the dentist and I think, oh man, I got a dentist appointment. I better clean my teeth really good today. It doesn't make up for bad living, right? My dentist, I show up and he's like, hey, I got a lot of work anyway. Don't waste your time that morning, right? God says, listen, you're attempting to scrub it all off. Just come to me, right? I got the tools. The tool is the cross. The tool is Jesus, You can't forgive your own sins by being good enough. Just show up to me and I'll forgive your sins. You can be on team Jesus. You you can have Christ in you. It's not a cult, right? It's aligning your life with a larger story than anything you could write on your own. The second response today is I got Christ in me. I'm on team Jesus and I've been huddled up for way too long. And today I am committing with my life to break out and to go do something, to go into my classroom, onto my team, right? Into my schools, into my business, go in the places that I work and live and to make disciples, live lives that compel people to ask the question, what is going on in your life? When I feel compelled to myself, I use the words that God gives to me and the things that God's done in me to say, hey, here is what happened to me. And you want it to happen to you too. So two responses. I need to be on team Jesus, right? And I got to get out of the huddle and do something. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. Here's what we're going to pray today. Two parts. Those exact same two responses. If you would say to me today with every head bowed, every eye closed, you would say, Jeremy, I need to ask Christ into my life. I need to make him the Lord of my life. I need a savior for my life. I need him to forgive my sins. I'm living in ways that are contrary to him and I want him to forgive my sins and I want to make him Lord of my life to lead and guide and direct my life. I I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what that looks like today, but I'm willing to say yes to God today. If you would just lift your hand right now. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else? You just say, "I I need Christ in my life. 
All right, second response is this. You say, Jeremy, I, I, I want to get in on the mission of God. I, I want to put on the jersey. I want to get in the huddle, and then I want to break out of the huddle and go do something that matters for eternity. I want to affect the people that I live and do life with for the sake of Christ. Would you raise your hand? Lots of hands. You can put them right back down. Put them right back down. You say, I'm in. I'm in. I, I, I want to go and respond to the gospel, to what I've seen and heard, to do something that matters for eternity. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. I want everybody in the room to stand with me. Everybody standing. We had hands go up for both of these responses, and we're going to pray. And as we pray, I want you to pray. Don't just listen to me pray. I want you to pray and say, God, what I lifted my hand for or what I should have lifted my hand for, I'm asking you to do right now. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. You are the Lord of my life. Help me to live that out. Be about your mission. So we're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing this incredible song as a declaration of God's faithfulness. God, I pray right now for every person in this room. I pray for those that lifted their hand today. Several people that said, I I do not have Christ in my life. I'm living contrary to his will, his ways, the ways that I know are his ways. I'm, I'm not living that way. And so today I am wanting God to come into my heart, come into my life so that I can be about this mission. And God, there were tons of hands that were raised to say, I've been huddled up. But I want to be about the mission. I want to get in on the action. I want to be a part of the plan of God. And so today, Lord, I pray for the strength to do that. I pray, God, for the wisdom that their eyes would be open to see the people in their lives that you want them to engage. God, I pray right now for a sensitivity of their spirit to respond to what you're doing in the world so that they can be a part of that. God, help us as a church in both locations, Marietta and Canton. God, help us as a campus here in Canton to live out your mission, to go into all the world, to start right here within seven miles of this school where 80,000 people are unchurched. They don't even huddle up together. Many of them are outside of a relationship with you. God, God, let us affect change in this community. Let us partner with other kingdom-minded churches here that are about the same mission to affect change here. God, let us branch out from there and go literally to the ends of the earth. And you have promised us when we go that you will go with us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your name. And God, let us know that you are faithful in the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.